0: And now, a statement from Liberal Democrat MP, Stephen Lloyd. Ladies and gentlemen of the Liberal Democrats, and Paddy Ashdown, who could still have any of us in a fight. As you well know, we as a party are strongly opposed to Brexit, and such is our conviction that despite being Democrats, we have overlooked the referendum result, and despite being Liberals, we have overlooked A.C. Grayling's haircut. It is with this in mind that I have come to the conclusion that the best way forward for our and my principled stand against Brexit is to vote for it. Theresa May's deal may not be perfect, But I remind you that we must stick to the age-old principles of the Liberal Democrats, a principled pursuit of a third way in British politics, avoiding the extremes of the left and the right, enthusing about windmills and charges on plastic bags, before eventually, and with a heavy heart, tutting under our breath most wryly, going along with what the Tories want because in reality mummy knows best. But I assure you that this setback will not weaken my resolve. Do not think for a second that I will oppose Brexit any less after voting for it on the contrary, I am a Liberal Democrat, and I will oppose it even more. People will say, Stephen, despite your assurances that you opposed it, you voted for it. And I will say, I don't remember voting for it, but I assure you that if I did vote for Brexit, then that must have been the best way to prevent it, because nobody opposed Brexit more than I did. Certainly not Jeremy Corbyn, whom I once overheard say that Tuscany was overrated, which is untrue and exactly what someone who had never been to Tuscany would say. Soon, the fight against Brexit will be won by this strategy, or at the very least, we'll reach an agreement with the newly formed YouTube Nazi Party of Great Britain, led by Paul Joseph Watson and one of the right honourable gentlemen from Blazing Squad, to conduct a people's Brexit, which will be more or less the same as regular Brexit, but will contain an important policy for ensuring supplies of vegan margarine are not affected. This is a compromise we can work with. With this future success assured by some promises made to me by a man I spoke to briefly outside a UKIP conference and written down in lemon juice on the back of this crisp packet, I'll be retiring from public life to spend more time distilling artisan gin and watching the rugby with my wife, Jocelyn, and my two dogs, FB and P.E.
1: (laughs)
2: Hey, welcome back again to TF, your free TF for the week. It's uh, me, Riley, in the Guy
0: household with Milo Edwards. Oh, it's me, your boy. I'm looking at Riley. I'm looking at a huge cardboard cutout of Elon Musk with a Supreme Box logo on it. What's up? What's up, guys, my boys?
2: (laughs) And on the phone lines, uh, we got uh, Luke Savage, the uh, Canadian correspondent um, Jacobin staff writer and the host of the Michael and Us podcast. How are you doing, Luke?
3: I'm doing great. Uh, actually, Milo took my intro because I'm also looking at a cardboard cutout of Elon Musk. Um, although I'm in my apartment, so I have nothing like your excuse.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you come on Trash Future, the thing, that, if you come on Trash Future twice, uh, then you get a cardboard cutout of Elon Musk. We send it to you in the mail. Yeah, Thanks, it's thanks for, for sharing Very, that. very folded. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, look we we got cursed by that witch so you know we have to keep doing it and we have to keep sending them yeah it's just like that old
0: gypsy woman said
4: yeah um, it
2: all
0: it all came very very true do you know how huge an envelope you need to send a life-size cardboard cut-out of Elon Musk a well, large it's, one
2: it's well, thank goodness thank goodness we just that britains now printing all of those gigantic checks so it can spend its brexit bonanza they're
0: <laughs> <laughs> like getting them all half price from the lottery like the ones that don't get used <laughs> I, for
2: one, can't wait to win a, a, a trillion uh, Teresa pounds once this deal inevitably goes through.
0: I think mean, I'll be able to, to buy a loaf of bread, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. I love. It. There's something about the phrase Teresa Pound that makes me deeply uncomfortable.: That's the new,
3: that's the post Brexit uh, cryptocurrency. Oh, God. <laughs> it's, a, it's,
0: it's, a, it's a
2: cryptocurrency that's pegged to optimism, stick to and a buccaneering free-trading it's, spirit. It's the,
3: it's the cryptocurrency that is always strong and stable, and you could take that to the bank. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh,
2: yeah. You can take that to the bank, which incidentally is now located in Frankfurt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's a cryptocurrency that's pegged to... Uh, we're, we're actually, we're just getting pegged. We're not, <laughs> we're not really sure how that even happened, but that's pretty much what's happening now. <laughs>
2: Uh, But, uh, today, we are not talking about Brexit, which, uh, might I add, after doing our Brexit episode with Tom Kabassi, we swore never to talk about again. Mm. Uh, Instead, we are talking about...
0: (coughs) Drowning. (laughs) We are talking about weed. That 420, that kush, that kind bud. Holy shit, it's 523pm and we're talking about weed. (laughs) Shit.
2: Uh, Yes, we are talking about... Not just weed, but the kind of weed nerds can enjoy because we're talking about legal ass weed. Whoa. Because uh, Canada decided to federally legalize marijuana uh, a little while ago. Mm. And then that sort of went. Luke, when did that actually come into effect?
3: Uh, just a couple months ago. Uh, the, the I mean, the liberals won the election 2015 on this legalization promise, but it took a very long time for anything to actually happen.
2: That's so. That's so cool of them. That that they they came in. Uh, that Justin Trudeau, you know, had some photos taken. He called someone a person, uh, and then he said refugees are welcome. And then very few refugees were actually welcome. And then eventually, weed was legalized.
3: Yeah, that's pretty much. That's a pretty uh, concise summary of Canadian politics for the last three years, actually.
0: <laughs> I don't need to go back at all. I get it all from here. But now the refugees who are there can get really stoked. So you know. Yeah, no one in Canada has accomplished
2: anything for the last couple of months. Uh, but uh, or ever, let's be yeah. real. <laughs> but uh, everyone seems everyone seems to be watching uh, old episodes of The Venture Brothers. Uh, which the I- Venture Brothers is that like the Property Brothers, but they're into like investing. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, this is uh, uh, the formal formal Trash Future endorsement. Uh, the Venture Brothers is probably one of the funniest shows ever made. It basically asks the question: What if Johnny Quest grew up? And became sort of like a pill-popping, um, misanthropic super scientist who had two moronic kids. Uh, Patrick Warburton's in it. It's incredibly good. But en- enough, enough about the Venture Brothers. Uh, Milo, that, that, Im- that Lib Dem uh, that sounds suspiciously like you, he has actually come out in favor of May's deal.
0: Yeah, I mean, like I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. I didn't, I didn't do a lot of reading into this. I just, I just write the jokes. I don't research the jokes. You know, this guy, he just, he's like one of. So there's like twelve lived MMPs now, I think, and uh, d- ten of them are voting against the Brexit deal. Which, given that they're like at this point a one issue party whose issue is we will vote against Brexit, it's kind of surprising <laughs> that they couldn't get uh, a consensus among twelve people. Um, it would be like if two of the disciples of Jesus had come out pro crucifixion (laughs) and even the guy who turned him into the Romans eventually came out as anti-crucifixion. Like the Lib Dems are literally more, more, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going. Well, this this was the,
3: this was the anti-tuition fee party that had to spin it as progressive to, you know, vote with the Tories to triple tuition fees. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised. Oh Yeah.
2: yeah. No, uh, Anyway, so I, I have gotten I have gotten um, I have gotten slightly distracted from the core topic, which I, I have briefly forgotten, but now remembered again. Uh, much in keeping with the theme, is in fact marijuana legalization. Um, so we have we legalized it uh, a couple of years ago. It's come into effect. Well, we voted on legalizing it a couple of years ago. It's come into effect now. Fantastic. Um, and what's what do you, what's that done uh, to Toronto? Uh, the city where you are from and where I used to live.
3: You know what? Remarkably, not very much. Like I, you'll read these, uh, read these accounts in like Toronto life or whatever. That'll be about how, you know, now the, the, the sky reeks with cannabis and there are clouds of smoke over, you know, every neighborhood or whatever. And I don't know, I haven't really experienced that. Like because of the way in which the legalization was carried out. Um, it's, it was just suddenly normalized. Uh, like, like, there was kind of, you know, uh, you know, legalized day. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, every, every kind of downtown neighborhood just had like a really, had a bunch of really ornate looking kind of exposed brick wood paneling stores called like Budweiser, you know, with like, without the E or whatever, you know? Uh, Um, I see what
0: they did there. Yeah.
3: You know, like think
0: because smoking weed makes you (laughs) wise. That's
3: right. Um, yeah. And you had this kind of sudden, uh, marketing of marijuana as like a lifestyle product. So using that type of language that's, or like a natural health product, something like that. Um, so, I mean, the big the big difference is now you can, uh, now you can get marijuana served to, or cannabis as it's now called. You can kind of get it served to you on a platter of, you know, upper middle class respectability. And you don't have to go anywhere near uh, a picture of Bob Marley or like a store that sells, you know, golden Buddha statues or busts of Elvis. Now you find it next to the yoga mm. studio and your real estate broker and it's got uh I don't know this car- kind of garnish of like urban chic to it that uh, before it it didn't have. That's the only that's the only big change. Love me a weed garnish. Yeah, that that's <laughs> so what we saying There's that that's the big change and uh, that and also the extremely convoluted and punitive enforcement regime that's come on top of that. Oh
2: cool. I was really hoping that legalization would bring with it uh, a complicated and punitive enforcement regime. I mean, weren't we all? I'm just very dis <laughs> I'm very disappointed that they haven't put a Rastafarian uh
0: droopy hat on the CN Tower. <laughs> mm. I also like I thought it was interesting what you said that like uh, marijuana or cannabis as it's now called because um actually I was thinking about this the other day there's like there's just no normal way of saying weed really like like marijuana cannabis the devil's lettuce.
3: It it's either it's either like the, you can say it in only two ways one which makes it sound like it's too it's too clinical and you're not giving it kind of the, like a reverence that's proportionate to what it is versus, mm. you know, it kind of sounding like you're being too ironic and you're leaning in a little too hard to this, like, wink-wink. Like, there's no earnest way to refer to yeah. marijuana. Ganja. <laughs> See what I mean?
0: I'm in favor of wacky-backy legalization. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you said there
3: was
2: a... An insane and punitive enforcement regime, because the last time I was in Canada, there were sort of quasi legal uh, clinics that were sort of operating if you're around. Running that house, it's like being legal, but you have a hunchback. Yes, exa- yes, precisely like that. Uh, so there, there were a bunch of quasi legal clinics, and there were sort of people just selling in them. Um, but that's not how it's sort of mooted to be sold now, right?
3: Yeah. So there was this really weird period of like, you know, if before. Uh, before legalization, or if like before 2015 was like the inferno. After 2015, before legalization was like the purgatorio, and that's where you had these, uh, uh, you know, this kind of weird uh, legal gray zone where these where these dispensaries could kind of operate. And I mean, they were tolerated, except they were constantly getting raided. So I mean, they sort of were tolerated, but also not tolerated. And now we've ascended to the paradiso. Uh, where everything is, uh, you know, uh, everything is super uh, respectable and expensive and uh, and kind of uh, hipsterized. Um, And uh, if you break the law around the kind of sale or distribution of cannabis, the uh, consequences are going to be really severe, which is, I think, the perfect world that we're all waiting for.
2: Oh, of course. Because we, we want to make sure that everyone who was criminalized for selling cannabis before legalization stays criminalized. <laughs> but we also want to make sure that someone called like, you know, Becky is able to open a uh, dank yoga studio
0: <laughs> and she, she can do budrum yoga. Canada's official policy is ain't no such thing as halfway crooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So speaking of this,
2: I, I actually did a search on Toronto Life earlier. Uh, and if I've, I noticed, there were three three articles really cr- just leapt off the screen to me. Mm. Number one, the
0: city's swankiest pot paraphernalia. Number oh, two, I love I love good paraphernalia. You know, you know when you don't know what to get your man for Christmas. You know, ladies, <laughs> ladies, ladies, <laughs> ladies, we've all been there, right? Men, what do they want? No one knows. What do they do? They joke off. They eat bacon. I don't know. What do they want for Christmas? They've got everything they want. They've got a car. They've got a hat. What are you going to get them? <laughs> paraphernalia (laughs) that's the thing they fucking love paraphernalia it's it's
2: like it's in in america or places where weed isn't legal if you want to buy your man a christmas present you have to get him the uh epic bacon whiskey from the uh from the from the fucking man catalog or maybe oh, a, yeah. or or one of those <laughs> the man catalog is actually a very different or magazine or one of one of those, <laughs> one, of those fa- one of those facebook algorithmically generated t-shirts that's like yeah i'm a forklift driver and i was born in july which means i like poinsettias which means why i love
0: paraphernalia and <laughs> or, i also know that if you only have one paraphernalia it's a paraphernalium is that true no <laughs> I don't know. You're the only one who spe- actually speaks Latin around here. Oh, actually, you know what? It probably is true, but it's Greek. <laughs> it's not. It's not Latin. So it'd be it would be, oh, yeah. be paraphernalion technically.
3: Paraphernalion. That sounds yeah. like that will be a weed strain very soon.
0: It would totally be a weed store, <laughs> bro, or at the very least
2: a strain of weed. Yeah. Oh god. No, but that's the thing. It wouldn't be a weed store now because the weed stores now are, are either called stuff like uh whole earth herbal clinic best buds or or like um budweiser as luke said but like in mm. quotes and in small font it, it wouldn't be paraphernalia and that's a 2015 era uh, semi-legal clinic name wait it's canada how isn't there a store called hey buddy
0: <laughs> anyway
2: uh, <laughs> uh give, cool. it, give it time right. so so isn't the that... uh, the second the second article toronto's most stylish head shops uh, <laughs> Again, does not sound like a weed store. And three, Toronto life critic Mark Pupo reviews ten pot edibles. Wow, <laughs> how did he get that name <laughs> from <laughs> his love of edibles? So that's that. What I think, I, I think what we're sort of getting at through here is that there, there has been this weed legalization, but let's just say it's it, it is weed legalization that has that has been rolled out in just the most gentrified way possible. Yeah,
3: right. so it, it, it increasingly seems like this legal purgatory, this long kind of phony war where people were just kind of waiting for weed to be legal. What was really going on in that time was, uh, you know, all these kind of uh, former political insiders and kind of corporate oligarchs had to get their ducks in order. They had to get their business models set up. Like every annoying uh, campus Conservative, I knew in, you know, circa 2008, 2009, you know, had to get uh, had to get their venture capital to start their cannabis startup. Um, and that's kind of what uh, that's kind of what was happening while uh, people were still being arrested for simple possession. And then it was just like overnight, all of a sudden, uh, it's just normal that it's just a normal part of kind of, uh, I don't know, downtown Toronto You know, Bay Street, uh, you know, business, uh, the the sort of Bay Street business affect like you go to a you go to a screening at the Tiff Bell Lightbox or whatever. And there's just like an ad for a weed startup before, you know, your your Bergman film or whatever, you know, it's a it's a Mm. weird it's a really weird thing.
0: People. People said it would be controversial when we legalized weed only for people earning more than thirty thousand dollars a year, but I say that's aspirational.
3: <laughs> it is.
0: It is fucking weird, though. How like normally when they make stuff uh, legal it comes with a cons a consummate kind of like forgiving of previous convictions for this like i mean i know that when they made homosexuality legal in the uk that eventually led to like people's convictions for homosexuality being like disregarded and so on so like why would you not extend this to drugs they, like if you're now saying mused about oh, okay it. this is fine they,
3: they've mused about it but for for years like I, i'm not sure uh, i'm not sure what the what the status of that uh of that is actually but um but I mean, they were, yeah, they were uh, categorically ruling that out for for some time, which, you know, especially didn't make sense given that, you know, the way the liberals kind of packaged the legalization. Originally, it was by Justin Trudeau saying, oh, yeah, I've smoked weed as an MP. So for, for a long time, the government's position was um, people should be getting criminalized for something the prime minister himself admits to having done illegally. Like it was kind of uh, there was a, such a transparent, uh, double standard inherent in that. Uh, it may be, it may be that they, uh, maybe that they fix that, but, and I certainly, certainly hope they do. Um, but there, but don't worry because there are going to be a lot of new, uh, uh, there are going to be a lot of new convicts created out of this. Um, there's,
4: oh, there's been the massive,
3: massive expansion of, uh, police budgets and, uh, and police powers, like hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, allocated to, uh, police uh you know police and also border officials to enforce the uh the new regime. So uh so don't don't worry. There'll be there'll be plenty more convicts.
2: So wait, how how are people getting convicted? Is it because is it from selling outside the sort of tightrope of regulations that we've got set down?
3: Yeah, exactly. So uh, for example, you know, one I know offhand is there's now a much harsher penalty for like selling weed to a minor. So Um, you know, when I was, when I was 14 and I, I,
0: guys, guys who work in mines got to get high too.
3: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, yeah, when, when, like when I was 14, like, uh, you know, whatever, you know, guy in grade 12 or whatever that was like selling me weed could have, like he could face a year, he could have faced years in prison if this regime had been, uh, been in place then, you know, it's like that kind of
2: thing. So from, from those articles I've cited, I we don't have time to read all of them, but I think we'd be totally remiss if we didn't cover a few uh, I hate the, being remiss. Yeah, can't be remiss if we didn't cover a few of the more sort of egregious bits of what I'm calling the goofy and less important half of the weed gentrification mm. uh, process. Oh, and it just so happens that uh, producer Nate has joined us.
4: Hello, producer Nate. Hello. I've uh, materialized from a cloud of weed smoke, which is against <laughs> the law in Britain, and yet somehow it just manages to get puffed everywhere. <laughs> um, so
2: from, from, the, from, the, from the, the first article... Uh, 12 of Shine's 24 karat gold papers have become a status symbol among celebrity tokers like Miley Cyrus and Tuchin. And podcasters. Celebrity
0: tokers.
2: (laughs) Oh, God. The sheets are crafted from edible 24 karat gold and packaged
0: with a certificate of authenticity. What the fuck is edible gold? (laughs) Like, it keeps, I keep hearing about it, and I'm just like, it's either gold. Or it's edible. Like you shouldn't be eating gold. Like there's no and even if you could eat gold, why? So this sounds <laughs> not for eating. This sounds
3: like one of those uh one of those scams to get like really dumb Silicon Valley people to spend money on things that are actually killing them. Like do you remember do you guys remember that whole raw water fad that was oh, like gripping yes. oh, Silicon oh, yeah. Valley? Kinda of sounds like that. And I love that there's a certificate of authenticity, like certifying certifying what like certifying that it's this hyper exclusive thing that only dumb rich people get you know
4: I, i'm also laughing too at the idea of um because i don't know if you recall when people were talking about colloidal silver being the thing that was going to like mm-hmm. be an antibiotic you could make yourself and i like why would you smoke gold like why would you smoke a metal like <laughs> I, i'm sure they believe there's some antibiotic or some sort of health property to it but like i'd really hope that somewhere somehow there's like uh, you know, like a, an oncologist who's like, oh, no, no, you're going to get cancer from that. You're all going to die and that at some point this will be revealed later on down the road. Uh, Wait, so, is,
0: that, is that how Goldmember lost his dick? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: no, so here's, here's what I think is actually happening, right? Because you know how Raw Water was just like super rich people just deciding they needed to die because they wanted to give themselves cholera because their lives are very empty. Mm-hmm. Now, this is super rich people deciding to give themselves like early industrial revolution era lung diseases <laughs> because they just want to, they're all trying to try back in time to like the 17th, late 17th century or so and they all just want to have these sort of really ancient long cured diseases. I
4: mean hatters and furriers got high as fuck off that mercury so I mean, you, how, how are you going to approximate The original that? stoners, hatters and furriers.
0: This <laughs> these rich guys being like yeah I'm into business success and going for runs at 4am but really what I'd like to be is in the same lung disease Venn diagram circle as people who worked in the industrial towns of the Soviet Union.
3: One, one of these days like Elon Musk is going to tweet the uh, you know, every Bitcoin you eat adds like a year to your life and just the entire like everyone in Silicon Valley is just going to die like in within a few hours.
0: <laughs> Some dumbass in Silicon Valley who's like, no, I'm going to be fine. I've got a whole closet full of Bitcoin. And he discovers <laughs> that they're all chocolate Bitcoins.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, th- these are the same people who are going to invent like running in all black at night on the motorway to stay more motivated. Well, I mean... You got to have that adrenaline. Otherwise, you know, you don't know if you're actually alive. All right. I'm, I'm going to move on to the highlight from the next. Art- oh, that was $100 for a pack of 12, by the way. Uh, I'm going to move on to the next article. Highlight, am I right? <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> oh, dude. So, okay. Toronto's most stylish head shop. Tokyo Smoke. Alan Gertner, a former Google manager, Could and
0: a for- But
2: um. Alan Gertner, a former Google manager, and his father Lorne acquired Canada's first license to grow medical marijuana more than twenty years ago.
0: Lorne Gertner sounds like a German guy who tends to your garden. <laughs> 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 we must call the Lorne Gertner. <laughs> um, and he-
2: we're going to take every sort of horrible, horrible urban gentrification box with the rest of this paragraph. Um, it's built inside a modified shipping container and sells premium vaporizers, Lego's architectural icon sets, Hermes tableware, diptyque candles, and the perfectly pulled espresso and fancy pastries. That's right. It's the Trash Future studio. <laughs> <laughs> Alan also sells his own men's clothing line featuring shawl collared blazers, quilted wool blend hoodies, and tailored shirts. This place has a hippie quotient of zero. Fuck it's the idea hell. that you're going to get
3: get really man after my own reading, heart
4: play with play with legos <laughs> <laughs> i mean it,
2: this this is the the pure sort of like um society has become a very stupid daycare uh, yeah. there's the purest strain of that particular
0: well, uh, uh, plant. Also that this guy's like, oh, what, what clothes should I wear for smoking weed? That famously incredibly smelly substance. Oh, I know, really porous materials like <laughs> wool, They're really impossible to get smells out of.
4: Well, I, I know that you're gonna make this comparison down the road because sh- you've planned it out, Riley, but as somebody who grew up watching friends get hemmed up for weed and getting like serious charges over and over again, because where I'm from, like they really prosecute it very strongly. Like This makes me angrier and angrier the more I look at it, because on one hand I'm like, oh, sweet. Yeah, they're legalizing weed, but on the other hand, it's like gu- this. This makes me want the fucking 1930s to come back. Like, you guys, this is just. It, it, it seems like Boss it's going. Plus, talking
0: once again. high trousers.
4: <laughs> it's just. uh It's a little, a little too much. Also, I'm laughing at Tokyo Smoke. It's Tokyo, Japan, famously a place that's really tolerant of weed, but doesn't design massive penalties for drugs. Yeah, what <laughs> is what is
3: even the pun here? Like, it, Tokyo drift. Like, did they somehow get from Tokyo drift to Tokyo smoke? No,
2: no. You guys are all missing. You know, I guess we're all missing why it's called Tokyo is because both of these people have absolutely. Oh. Tokyo. Now, Tokyo. Oh, token, yo. Wow,
3: it's just operating no, 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 no. on a whole oh. other level.
2: No, that's the thing. Right. I don't think I don't think it's it's a pun. I don't think it's a pun at all. I think these two people have read every single issue of Monocle magazine and and like and have sort of a curated line of like Hinoki wood tableware or whatever, because Tyler Brulé constantly talks about like three cities. Like Tokyo, Copenhagen, and Buenos Aires, he's always talking about some combination of those three.
4: <laughs> what a bizarre selection yeah. of like. Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> antique shit. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Yeah. So,
2: th- so with the this is this is just like this is like someone just rolled a joint out of a, an issue of monocle.
4: Well, I mean, Riley, since you're always paying attention to the class aspect of this, it does seem like a very deliberate attempt to take away like the kind of hesher stoner culture and make it into like it's the exact same thing like dude i'm blazed 24 7 but rather than it being tie-dye or listening to metal it's it's this it's uh it's scandy design and like really expensive coffee and it seems like the implicit notion here is like oh no poor stoners go to jail rich stoners work at startups and are friends with jack dorsey and used to come work at google rich stoners go on the joe rogan experience
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, tr- I'm gonna go to the third one now. Um, this is one of the foods that uh, uh, what is name, Mark Poopo reviewed. Uh,
0: <laughs> yes, that is correct, Nate. That phase is exactly correct.
2: Yeah, I'll just, I'll just leave this yeah, one. It's fine. In the air.
0: Don't worry, we've already handled
2: that. Um, yeah, this, this So this is popcorn, which is a
0: type of popcorn from Bubby's Baked Goods. Um, it's not like how people on on the internet used to write porn like prawns, so no, wouldn't prawn, so it would not get banned. I think it's prawn like them. chronic. Yeah, oh,
4: it's fuck. that dumb. It's that fucking <laughs> stupid. Yeah, oh. like
0: honestly, we
2: have to ask ourselves the question. Let's let's go around. Was weed legalization actually worth it?
4: it? It just seems like the worst people with the dumbest jokes have decided. I mean, I guess when you get down to it, who's going to be like, I want to, I want to be a weed investor? Like, it's going to be people who are like, well, there's really no into spaces left on the Romaniacs. so. <laughs> Oh, uh, um, don't worry, guys. The
2: type of high is described as psychedelic, but I'll, I also checked out the other types of high in Mark's poop, Mark Pupo's article because now you can be a weed connoisseur. Uh, we have the tasting notes. We have psychedelic, but we also have intransigent, uh, vertiginous, uh, and uh, fleeting, <laughs> fleeting but joyful. So what? <laughs> fleeting but joyful These are from like, This article. sounds like, like the this sounds like experiences of uh, my youth this
3: sounds like i don't know if you guys have david's tea over there but it's kind of like a posh like tea <laughs> store it sounds like when you get like they're like uh you know holiday rooibos chai like fleeting but joyful Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just I just described
0: the high as curmudgeonly.
3: I mean, but like those just
4: sound like GRE words used to describe bad weed experiences, like intransigent. No, more like paranoid or yeah. like fleeting but joyful. It's not fucking strong enough to actually get you high for a very long time. <laughs> Doesn't like,
0: intransigent imply like a stalemate of some kind? <laughs> like isn't that like well, the, the, thing- the, the negotiations became intransigent? <laughs> Look, like
2: what, what this was really doing, right? Is I I I think I, this might be more of a comic book club thing. I talk about did we talk about like marketing before what it really does. Is it just sort of creates it creates your perceptions of these things, right? Like weed yes. is weed is weed. THC is THC is THC. It's it's just this it's a chemical that, yeah, you can metabolize it differently, but like it's still the same chemical. But they're just like, oh no, but this one gives you a uh, this one gives you a high that's no that's described as this if we put it with popcorn. Like it's it's just creating sort of difference in desire. Well,
4: so I mean there are definitely different effects based on different strains, but like I think the idea to try to like make it into this sommelier shit is really weird. And I think that... It, it it implies something like like you just described, like this infinite variety there by infinite marketability. I mean, I definitely think that like, the difference between indica and sativa is, is very different in terms of how it affects you. Mm. But like, I don't necessarily think that I, I've ever been intransigently high. <laughs> what I'm saying is, when you light up a blunt of Justin
0: Trudank, you know you're smoking Justin <laughs> <laughs> Trudank. No, 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 no.
3: Well, it's sort of like with wine reviews, right? Where like, obviously yeah. there's a difference between like, a ten dollar bottle of wine and like a twenty five dollar bottle and like you know like that that kind of rule applies going up like in price but with like increasingly diminishing returns. But then there's this like ceaseless quest by you know wine reviewers and kind of lifestyle magazines and marketing guys to create infinite novelty within that by just like injecting all of these adjectives uh, into wine. I used to I used to think wine um, actually had all of these. Like, when they say that something has, like, a, you know, a, uh, uh, you know, shiruby sh- smoky hue or something. I used to think that actually meant something. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's just total bullshit to, to make you think that, uh. I don't know, to make you think that like one expensive bottle of red wine is like a- is like substantially different from another, even if there the difference is like one of so, very small degree.
0: As an aside on this point, when I was at university, a mate and I used to have a radio show where we did a segment called "Wine or Play," where we would get a guest on and we would read them excerpts from reviews of wines and plays taken from like the Guardian and Telegraph websites, and people almost never got it right. Like, like you would be like uh, be like. Uh, uh, a fantastic and vibrant combination of flavors and different essences, which lingers on the palate. A, a production of Hamlet at the, at the National <laughs> Theatre. <Like, laughs> really-
2: but here's the thing: this is this that was that was the sort of the open the opening um, strains of the orchestra that Mark Pupo has prepared for us. The real the real shit comes. The Mark in the actual review. Where he writes, this cluster of popcorn, caramel, marshmallow, peanut butter chips, and chocolate gave me the weirdest dreams. Something to do with Miley running a dog daycare at my old high school. She's apparently on my mind. If it weren't so hard hitting, I'd be eating this stuff all the time. It's salty and sweet in the perfect proportion, like camp food for adults. So basically, this guy had a trip and is now just describing it to you. This guy is definitely that guy you knew from high school.
4: How warm is this guy's couch? Well, I'd also I'd also point out that one of the things that actually kind of turned me off as somebody who was a big fan of weed and then wasn't allowed to smoke weed for 10 10 years and came back to it later was that uh, it's so much stronger now. The idea of like having this kind of stuff like based on the dosage, I mean, it's put down what 250 milligrams of THC. Um, I feel like a handful of that would probably get the average person fucked up for like 12 hours. So it makes me wonder at a certain point, like it seems like this is meant to aestheticize what's basically been previously kind of pigeonholed as like an addictive behavior and like making it into wine reviews as opposed to like someone who's enthusiastic about wine because they buy expensive bottles of wine and reads wine magazines is different than a person who's enthusiastic about wine. Cause like they fucking drink it on the street by themselves in the same vein. Like this is basically taken, taken weed and made it into this thing. That's like, well ultimately it's supposed to get you high. Like that's the point. Like it doesn't matter if it fucking tastes like camp food for adults. It doesn't matter if it's like, it's, it's just a weird kind of riffing on the on on the obvious and that to me like makes it so strange that i mean i feel like a friend and i used to joke about this about high times you to, high times magazine comes out every month it's like how many times can you can you write dude i'm so fucking high right now you know to make it interesting <laughs> in the same vein it's like this stuff's going to get you fucked up like it you don't care if it tastes like popcorn or not like you care about the thc content like it's just strange that it's so, um, it's made so rarefied, I guess. Yeah. Me next week for Vice, we gave
0: people on the street a whole bag of weed popcorn and convinced them that Cthulhu did 9-11.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, what's, uh, you know, what's kind of a funny thing that's happened in tandem with this is like the legalization regimes or like the implementation has been a little bit different. I think depending on which Canadian province you live in and in mm-hmm. Ontario, uh, you know, the Imperial metropolitan center of the country, the rollout was particularly bad, um, and basically, you had to order the stuff from like a government website, which of course immediately crashed. Um, yeah. And you know, people were told like it's going to be months until you actually get the stuff. I had a few friends that tried to do that, and when it when it eventually came, like it comes in these weird kind of clinical, like they look like a, they look like multivitamin bottles or whatever. Like it's the exact opposite of this. So like the government's not uh, not able to. It doesn't have the you know, flexibility to do any of this kind of absurd marketing. So that's like the other extreme. And that's kind of the other weird aesthetic that's come out of this.
2: Well, it, the, the, the odd thing is also like the way that, and now this is going to be more for the Canada heads out there, uh, the way that Ontario uh, markets booze, because it's it also only a state, well, provincial seller in uh, Ontario can sell alcohol. It's called the LCBO or Liquor
0: Control Board of Ontario. But what they've Wait, done... was well, so you can't buy booze in like a supermarket? No, no, it has to be. Not really. No. But isn't Toronto in Ontario? Yes. Yes. So, in like in all of Toronto, you can't. You no. have to go to like a state. go to a government store. We B- right. have basically. Those well, actually, states
3: you know this. This states. this is actually. There's a really good analogy. Like, or there's a really good. Um, yeah, there's a really good analogy here. Like uh, the the LCBO, which dates from prohibition. It is literally the liquor control board. Um, there are other places. Like there's the beer store, and then there's something called the wine rack. Uh, the wine rack, in particular, like it only sells. Um like if you go to the, the LCBO you can get like I don't know your French wines, Portuguese, whatever. But the Wine Rack is just basically stuff from like the Niagara Peninsula, like other parts of Canada, and it is you know apart from the LCBO basically you know, the only other place you can get wine, and as I understand it it's essentially just a sort of cartel that's run by different uh vineyards uh, or whatever in uh in Ontario. And uh, so it's actually exactly like uh, like what's what's happened with uh, weed is pretty much the same thing.
4: You we know, we have similar things in the U.S. There's some states where you have like in North Carolina you have the the ABC store like the Alcohol Beverage Commission store, and it's a strange thing because you can cross a state border and go into a place like from North Carolina to Georgia where like it's free for all. So it it it. But I didn't realize they did that up there. And also I'm just envisioning like what uh what that equivalent of a weed store in Canada would be like, and all I can think of is like the grocery store from Repo Man where everything's just like a white unmarked case hmm. It just says oh, weed on it.
2: That's the thing. It wouldn't because what I was what. I'm getting it also is the L C B O um is branded as this really swanky lifestyle thing. Like they put out a Got magazine it. called like gourmet. Like all of their mm. stores are very, very, very nice and very luxurious. Like there is every, all of booze consumption in Ontario is branded as middle class, basically. That's how they've made wow. it acceptable. Um yeah, uh Luke, it, it's uh, do you feel <laughs> like Mommy's they're had gonna,
0: a hard day at yoga class. <laughs> do, you,
2: do you feel they're gonna do do something like that with marijuana as well?
3: Oh yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I think it's. I think it's kind of already happened. Like that's. Uh, that's. That's what this whole. Uh, that's what this whole kind of bungled legalization would be about. Like I think people really assumed when they heard legalization, uh, like the sort of weed community in Canada, which was kind of out pretty hard for Justin Trudeau in 2015. Or it seems to me they were like they just assumed that uh, legalization was going to mean like the removal of a prohibition on something. But instead, what it's meant is just. Uh, you know, this convoluted sort of corporatist, uh, like structure, just kind of, uh, you know, crushing any sort of like organic small growers or or whatever is happening out before. There's one of those things where like, I think, you know, it, it proves like libertarians, like sort of 30%, right. You know, like where they think that, uh, you know, they argue that, uh, you know the market is kind of rigged by these special interest groups that you know kind of capture various bits of it and and like rig it to their own advantage. Uh, but then the trouble is they think that uh, that can be reconciled with like more capitalism, which is absurd. Yeah. What this this is this is capitalism right here at its at its stupidest. So
2: now that we've kind of talked about the dumb side of weed gentrification, where it's you know um, cat cafes and yoga cafes and uh, little kinds of popcorn that make weird food critics talk about dreams they had. Um, This is the real gentrification. The real sort of insidious part of this process is that weed is now becoming this multi-billion-dollar industry in Canada alone. And Luke, you kind of foreshadowed that when you said, like, in the run-up to legalization, all of the you know bow tie dipshits we knew in um, in in university were all slowly assembling their capital and getting ready to make their plays.
3: Oh yeah, hundred percent.
2: Yeah. So I've I've looked a little bit into this as well. Uh, Canopy growth. Uh the first weed unicorns was valued at more than a billion dollars um Mark zeculin the president weed unicorn sounds like something else <laughs> Mark zeculin, the president uh was a senior advisor. Mark zeculin zeculin yeah was, I mean <laughs> I couldn't make up these names They sound like names I've so made up uh, names uh, are, The
3: names on the table are a guy named Poop and a guy named zeculin, yeah. <laughs> I just want that entered into the record. These
2: are definitely these are almost names I made up as Tory ministers that have resigned. You've heard of my associate, Poop Zeculin. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> right. So this guy, president of uh, the subsidiary of Canopy Growth called Tweed, was senior advisor to Ontario Finance Minister Dwight Duncan and former director Chuck Rafici,
0: who actually like <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Refici. Yes. <laughs> and our operations officer, dick in my ass.
2: <laughs> right? So Chuck Rafici was the C- the CFO of the Federal Liberal Party. He's no longer involved. He's now an independent investor. But, like, all of these people of were God. so connected. There's
4: another name coming up. I just looked in the notes. It's amazing. Yeah. Riley, please continue. Okay.
2: Uh, <laughs> Organogram Holdings President Roger Rogers. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yo, this is Roger Rogers, and I'm here with my man Chuck Ruffici. We're holding it down on the on the weed smoking Canadian ass podcast, <laughs> I'm the Adam Twenty Two Show. Yeah. Um,
2: we're smoking legal ass weed with uh, Lil Xan, who's just back from rehab. We're smoking legal ass weed with the legal ass kids. <laughs> <laughs> God damn, welcome young. to the Jeffrey Epstein cast. <laughs> <laughs> um, no!
3: Wow, that took such a dark turn.
2: <laughs> so, President Roger Rogers, which in Britain is actually a uh, almost a sentence. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, he was VP of Moosehead Breweries, which is one of like the biggest ca- Canadian um, uh, like brewery companies, and they're deeply involved with Constellation, an international beverage company, and like. Or we have people who are ditching the tech world, like that guy who was a former Big Wheel at Google who now runs the fucking monocle-ass motherfucking Tokyo shit. Like All of these people are just some of the wealthiest and most connected people in Canada who have now cornered a multi-billion dollar industry Like
4: right away.
0: You hear me, you monocle-wearing motherfuckers in Tokyo? I'm calling you out, bitch.
4: (laughs) Pussy-ass motherfuckers. 19th century cosplay-ass bitches. Right.
2: Uh, (laughs) Right, any case. Steampunk fucking plastic gangsters. There's going going to be a steampunk-themed weed night. Uh, oh my god! I Can't um, imagine. But oh, you're right. Uh, and and, yeah, oh. and they'll call it. They'll call it. They'll they'll say smoke punk, and it's gonna play uh, electro Steam swing. Dank. <laughs> it's gonna play electro swing, and it's going to be held at a quote unquote secret warehouse that's widely advertised in Toronto Life.
4: I, I, I all I can think of is just like a weed pipe that's got that's made out of anodized metal. It's got like way too many appendages to actually function as a pipe. Right, and it glows somehow. But mm-hmm. getting back on track this, this, we have created a
2: multi-billion dollar industry. And once again, like four guys seem to be actually benefiting from it and they will have yeah, the best 100%. name.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if there was like a rule, like in order to have a startup or attract capital, you had to change your name to something ridiculous, but um, it's kind of a chicken and the egg thing with like, I don't know, Silicon Valley and like cryptocurrency guys or whatever. Like, I, I'm not sure, like, did the ridiculous names precede what they were doing or were they like, you know, like or are they, are they like a product of it? I don't know. It's a mystery that, that it will remain unsolvable. But yeah, if you, if you run through the list of like, uh, you know, who has these big publicly traded companies, it's all just, yeah. Like former, former CEO of, uh, you know, Jameson and like, uh, I don't even remember what Tweed is, uh, subsidiary Tweed. That's Mark Zekulian's outfit. But, uh, yeah, he was like, you know, senior, yeah, senior advisor to, uh, Dwight Duncan, like this is the literal top of the establishment. And honestly, people that uh I, I don't know if like in spite of um in spite of all this attempt to kind of market this stuff to upper middle class people, I suspect a lot of the uh, you know, faceless kind of corporate overlords at the top will remain like too prudish to actually consume any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. I've actually found the. Like way- if your name, if your if your name is Zeculin, you're not you're not smoking weed anytime soon.
0: <laughs> I've worked out how you can come up with your weed entrepreneur name. So first name, you pick uh, the last guy you heard about being named in a Trump and diamond. You take his first name, and then as a surname, you can either pick the name of an over the counter medication or a character from The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, I have another, I
2: have a- another another name, um, Duma Wendshooc.
4: Oh Jesus. <laughs> That's not real. Yep. Is the CEO...
3: Fuck off, fuck off. That, I'm at the point, what are you talking I'm at
4: about? the point where you see like Canada isn't real after hearing all of this. <laughs> Whoa. Um, You've been smoking that dank, but,
2: bro. Yeah, actually, I had a lot of popcorn. <laughs> here's here's another here's another example of just an extremely wealthy, well-connected person who has just cornered this market. Uh, Toronto-based, highly disruptive startup in Canada's legal cannabis industry. Highly disruptive. Provinces, That's right, guys. Province's products pro- promise a better class of psychoactive, the first true alternative to alcohol. Uh, prior Whoa. to founding Province, Mr. Wenchuch was the co-founder of a su- successful well-known Colorado-based cannabinoid research and consumer products company. And before ending the cannabis industry, Mr. Wenchuch was surprise surprise co-founder and CEO of Secret Argent Productions Inc., a film and video game production company and advertising agency.
0: <laughs> I was actually I was
4: actually in Delta Force. So I was Secret Argent. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: Sir, that right? d- I to respect. <laughs>
4: Wait, is that like Secret Argent or is it <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> sucré argent or like secret argent like it's I'll- like like it's detergent for a secretary. <laughs> I don't know. It's all it's all
0: bad. Well, down at our offices here, at the legal weed company, the secretaries tend to get very dirty now. Uh, <laughs> right. We have come up with a number of methods to solve this.
2: Or, but <laughs> if we even remember in the United States, right? Who is now the the weed industry's most prominent advocate? It's John Boehner, a former Republican <laughs> Speaker
4: of the House. Yes, yeah. you were spelled- really
0: adopted the dank. <laughs> it was
4: great. Oh no, no, no! It's spelled boner. It's not not bane like that. It's it's spelled boner. <laughs> owner, for real,
0: that's even better.
4: I know it's, he he is not exempt of the weird re- weird name rule either. No, no one is. So don't, I, gotta, I don't look at my erection, Batman. That is not relevant. So I, if you uh, you guys, Milo you, and and Luke, you might be familiar with with John Boehner. John Boehner is famous former Speaker of the House and uh, guy cries guy a who lot. cries a lot and who his fa- claim to fame is his family owned a bar and he can't talk about how his dad owned a bar without crying for some reason. No one knows what went on in that bar. Same. I cry a lot if I was named over cross between a hard on and fucking Batmanville. <laughs> but I do. Have a question though for the can for this for the true Canada heads because I'm just wondering with all this happening does Canada have a similar situation to the U S where minorities are like disproportionately prosecuted for weed possession where like at their you know people use it at the same rates but like in America black people are prosecuted for weed at a much much higher rate and I'm just wondering because
3: oh 100 percent yeah totally I mean like um it, it's the same it's the same with anything it's like. Uh, uh, you know, if you are, if you're like a white college kid and you drink beer in a park, like that's highly illegal here, but the chances that anything's like going to happen, uh, to you other than like a cop t- dumping it out or telling you to put it away or take it somewhere else, like very low. But I mean, uh, that's not, that's not how, uh, that's not how policing works kind of outside of that, uh, you know, privileged social nation. It's, it's gonna be the exact same thing with, uh, this. And, and I mean, uh, emblematic of that is the fact that the guy, uh, the, with with ministerial responsibility for enforcing this uh, suffocating new uh, prohibition regime uh, or legalization regime, I guess it technically is. Uh, that guy is literally the former chief of Toronto police, uh, so a literal cop is at the top of all this. Like, and,
2: and that's uh, the like it, it all goes back to like what capital is deemed useful, either for producing returns for itself or for criminalizing and terrorizing an underclass, right? This is why these people are that the people who sold it and who still sell it now um, illicitly are still like rotting away in jail. And why the people who were always privileged are the ones who are getting the billions and billions of dollars that it's actually producing, right? Like it's it's that this is why also like it's like oh all of a sudden it's a lifestyle brand. It's it's not because some some dumb like like urban fucking yuppies who read Monocle too much have decided to market it this way. They've been told that it's like this by capital, and they're just sort of following. That's why the first kind of gentrification it's goofy, but it's like it's like you're getting
4: mad at a steam whistle when we're really we should be looking at the train hear me you one-eyed motherfuckers we're coming for you it's also i think the thing too that is that you can't help but notice the disparities when um you know yoga mom who makes weed dog biscuits is getting like a glossy magazine spread but people get life sentences in the u.s because they get busted on like a third a third strike for like simple possession um you know right right
3: you start like you start like literally the dumbest business ever and magazines will write about how you're a heroic disruptive entrepreneur and you know you're like yeah you're like Uh, I don't know, just like smoking it on the street in Columbus, Ohio, and then you go to prison for like three years. It's bullshit.
4: A friend of mine from high school got in trouble for uh, this is particularly American, um, he got in trouble for underage uh, possession of alcohol and also possession of weed. And because he and a bunch of kids were smoking and drinking at a pool that was closed, they ran, he got caught, he was 18, the rest of them weren't, he was a senior in high school. The cops decided that rather than charging all these kids as juveniles, they just would hit him with all the charges they would have charged him with otherwise because cops can do things like that in America. And so he wound up facing a felony of three to five years when he was like 18 years old in two weeks. And he, in a situation where he got lost, he, he was able to get a conditional discharge through the court system because you pay. you can If you pay, you can get your charges reduced but he had to go through like go to he had to go to NA under legal mandate he had to go to AA under legal mandate for like 2 years while he was a college student. He basically had to do drug testing every month I think. And he is com- absolutely even though it's not on his record he's not able to be to work in, in weed because of the fact that he was arrested and charged because he was charged charges were dropped he wasn't convicted but he was charged. And so in some places it's literally that strict. And and he's he's a white kid from the suburbs. So you can only imagine what it's like when you can't pay and you do get that felony when you're 18. And so you think about like all the ways in which the state can fuck with you in a place like America or Canada. And then you have this supposedly burgeoning industry that's supposedly going to bring jobs to places that don't have jobs, and the people who would need them the most are completely locked out because they have been, they have basically been defenseless from the state for so long, and the state extracts tribute, if you will, through things like through these petty arrests.
2: In fact, that sort of leads me to uh, talk about again the single most sort of gormless and stupid paper ever to be printed, uh, an excerpt from the New York Times talking about canopy growth a couple years ago. Um, so. This, this article is sort of about a, a small town in Ontario that would, I think a lot of people from like Columbus, Ohio, or from like outside Bradford or whatever, would kind of recognize the story of this place, right? So for most of its recent history, I'm reading from the article now, uh, Smith's Falls, population 9,000, was defined by two things. The 19th century canal that passes through its center and the chocolate-scented air. The Hershey plant, which had about 800 employees at its peak, was a vital part of the economy. Until a recent repainting, the town's water tower featured the Hershey logo and declared Smith's Falls the chocolate capital of Ontario. <laughs> that doesn't mean See, what I think it means. Mayor, Mayor Dennis Staple said that uh, Hershey was without a doubt an excellent corporate citizen. They sponsored sports teams and hockey tournaments and helped underwrite a chocolate and railway festival each summer. I'm sure we all know what's happening next after we declare a giant multinational a good corporate citizen because mm. the world is defined by irony. Uh, Hershey shut down its conveyor belts in 2008, but that was just the beginning of the bad news for Smith's Falls. A year later, the province of Ontario closed a nearby home for up to 2,650 2, development disabled results. Stanley Tools, an industrial company, left, as did all the other American manufacturers. And the uh, old transcontinental railway line uh, that goes across Canada was then ripped up to save costs. All in all, about 1,700 jobs vanished, which is like most of the working population.
4: I it was population 9,000 people. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. yeah.
2: Right. So, this, and I mean, Luke, you can weigh in on this. This is not an uncommon situation outside of, the, of Toronto, right? O- outside the Toronto, Vancouver, sort of Montreal corridor.
3: Oh yeah. Like, uh, I grew up in Southwest Ontario, like rural Southwest Ontario and Ontario used to be like so much of the American Midwest, uh, you know, a place kind of, uh, you know, all the, all the towns were erected around some form of manufacturing industry. Um, and you know, so many of them, I mean, almost every town has kind of undergone the same transition in my lifetime, uh, from having, you know, factories and kind of, um, that kind of more classic, uh, I don't know, sort of middle sized city or town vibe where you have like a pretty vibrant downtown and you have like, you know, the local paper and you have kind of local businesses and that kind of thing. And people work at the plant or whatever. It's kind of gone from that to the downtown is like this kind of Dawson City after the gold rush, just completely hollowed out. And then you have big box stores and suburbs around uh, the edge. And the people that live there are basically commuting to a lot of them are commuting to the GTA. Um, like the, the the towns are kind of recast and reorganized as these kind of satellite uh, settlements of the you know big metropolitan hub and a handful of the towns are able to kind of cope uh, by you know if they can invent some other industry like uh, where I, where I did my first years of high school, Stratford, you know it was a manufacturing town uh, actually like Smith's Falls used to there used to be like a big rail construction repair yard. that got shut down. So the town uh, you know just invented the world's most famous Shakespeare festival and it was able to hang on. Uh, With that, that's like a big industry. But most towns in Ontario, yeah, are exactly like the Smith Falls situation. And they're reduced to just groveling at the feet of these, you know, giant multinationals saying, please invest here because we need the jobs.
2: And in fact, this is, of course, what happened. So uh, carrying on. At first, Hershey promised to help the town find a new business to take over the plant. A flavored water company expressed interest but couldn't get the money together. And in 2012, Hershey then sold what was left of the plant to a holding company controlled by an ad agency called Omnicom. The new owner then inquired about demolition permits in order to just (laughs) recoup their losses. But then Tweed showed up and bought the building with a consortium of private investors. And now, what has happened is this is a one-industry town... And at the time, Rafici, we we might recall from earlier, uh, he he was then sort of working directly with the mayor, basically saying, "I'm going to revitalize this place." But all of a sudden, all of the um, all all he started the, the the company started being able to direct a lot of what was going on in the town. They started like creating um training programs, not just for their own future employees, but then tried to gear up the industries around the town and so on and so on to be able to supply the sort of massively overpaid executives of this company with the services that they might want. Now, we might think on the surface of it, like, without thinking about it too much, would be like, oh, great, this is good. They can become a prosperous um, town again. But then we actually talked to one of the people who lived, or we didn't, but they actually mentioned one of the people who lived there, Andrew Brinkworth, who's 18, outside the downtown Tim Hortons, said that uh, Tweed was talking about creating jobs and such, but it's not going to. It's not going to do anything. A lot of people here have criminal records, and they're not going to be able to get a job at the plant if they have a record.
4: Yeah, I, I think about this too, that um, in the U.S. there have been pushes, but only recently, to expunge criminal records of people who were convicted of crimes related to marijuana, because those people are disproportionately either minority or poor or both in the U.S. Because of this problem, because when you saw the legalization in Colorado for example or in Washington state for example these same very stringent regulations were placed on who could work in the industry and invariably it's all you know rich white rich white stoners and hedge fund investors and and the people who would stand to benefit from the the supposed job growth are locked out of it um, and in in places like California for example they're they you know they actually if i'm not mistaken they actually have expunged the criminal records of people um, but for the long time the problem they were facing was Part of this whole thing is the idea that you're somehow going to take a, 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 an industry that's selling an illegal product and make it legal. But if the people who are good at it literally can't get the straight jobs, then why would they leave the illegal side to go to the legal side? It's far more difficult to grow weed when you're dealing with, like, for example, in Colorado, and I imagine they do this in Canada, too. Like the cops have to have a fucking VPN access to your CCTV at all times for your grow facility. The cops have to be able to like literally monitor anything. Like everything has to be supply chain managed. Like there's so much checking that goes into it. There's so much permitting that goes into it. It's like, why would you, if you're making the kind of money you can make growing weed and say like, I don't know, Humboldt County, California. Why the the fuck could you do this unless there was more money to be made? Gotta keep an
0: eye on those plans in case they run away. And
4: and what's crazy to me about this is uh, is that in a way, what this this winds up seeming like is it's people who want to make a lot of money in the industry um, basically because it's sort of like a, a weird genteel money laundering. I know that sounds it's not they're not laundering money through they're they're involved in the business but in a way like it's just hey we want a we want a slice of that illegal money how do we make it legal as oh, opposed yeah. to having le- weed be illegal is really counterproductive and it would actually it, it can generate way more opportunities for people and it's, just, it's a lot less hassle and a lot less state intrusion if you just fucking make it legal
3: so I feel like the central theme of all of this is that uh it's kind of like the the poorer you are like the more state paternalism the more state and market paternalism there's going to be the more sort of overburdened with kind of regulations about uh you know use and uh consumption uh, you're going to be and like the richer you are the more uh this just gives you kind of license to act like a literal baby like if you're mm. if you're you know poor and you're trying to have a grow up or if you're just like an ordinary person who's not like a CEO or something you're going to have like a you know camera staring you down at all times and like the cops checking in on you whereas if your name is like you know, Alan, you know, Gertner, or Lauren Gertner, or whatever it was, uh, <laughs> you're going to be, you're just going to be in like a, you know, big ornate palace surrounded by our accoutrements and whatever. And, uh, you're gonna be able to sell products with like umlauts inexplicably added to their names. And, you know, just sitting there in your shawl colored blazers and quilted wool blend hoodies or whatever it was that, you know, that what was that? What was the phrase the the article used? A hippie quotient of zero. Yeah. What know?
2: they really I think what they really mean
4: is they really mean a working class quotient say, of poor, nothing. A poor person quotient yeah. of zero. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I mean that's the thing too about the kind of stoner culture is that like a lot of it is a very very working class culture. Like I'm not a big fan of of the kind of some of the excesses that I've perceived. You know, growing up with people who who burned out hardcore on on weed, for example, and like while I think that weed is pretty benign compared to most <laughs> drugs, like it, it's there's people who can't fucking deal with it, but like. It is fundamentally not a like. It's not aside from college students. It's not really like a like a hedge fund wine snob kind of culture. And it's it's interesting to me that like that's in order to make it socially acceptable, that's what they have to do. Like to their milieu, to for them to accept it, it has to become wine. It can't just be what it is well, now.
2: Here here's a, a, a very odd comparison. But do you know like the source of stuff like table manners? Do you know the source of stuff like why certain words were considered sort of swear like swearing for a long time inappropriate? It's because what we what we were actually all of these manners came from people <laughs> imita- Sorry. people imitating what they thought were were upper class behaviors, and so these things that you could like get arrested for swearing on stage. what it really what we, like like Lenny Bruce kept getting arrested for swearing on stage? The reason that that was so immoral, the reason that it was illegal, was that it it was seen as lower class. And what's happened is like again, this stuff has just emerged from we've emerged from that constraint. These things are now appropriate. Now what we're doing is we're taking all the stuff we like. And we're, or we're saying, well, the, the, the prohibitions on them are gone because they're no longer lower class. It's all it, the whole, all the aesthetics of it are just class. And all the, all
0: the,
2: all the aesthetics change is just driven by class change.
0: Is this where Raleigh advances his new political opinion, which is you can eat a whole roast dinner with your bare hands and that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> that's praxis. I'm wondering, Luke,
4: if you can comment on this. And if you don't know, it's no problem. But in the US, weed becoming illegal was, was in a lot of ways tied to a kind of like race panic. Um, and I don't know if it was similar in Canada, but weed was basically legal. It was more or less unregulated in the U.S. until the 1930s. Um, and the two big sort of waves of attacking it were in in the 1930s and then subsequently in the 1960s and 70s. And I think that it's gotten to the point where it's old hat now, but there's this famous quote that uh, because of... The heroin trade in like primarily poor black neighborhoods in the u s and because of the popularity of weed amongst hippies in the anti war movement, the joke was or the the statement was more that under Nixon that they couldn't make being black or being like anti war illegal, but the war on drugs was a means of specifically targeting those communities um and basically using the the guise of law and order to 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 disrupt them as much as possible, and so you know that's why in the United States at least. We, I mean, the law has been functioning as it's intended. It's been putting away minority and poor people disproportionately, whereas, you know, people who, are, who aren't, who, who have the money or who are protected, basically can, could walk away with it. I mean, like weed is basically legal in New York City for white people. It absolutely. It's basically, it's de facto legal for white people. But the cops still arrest black kids for it all the time at the rate of like 95% of the people who get ticketed for weed in New York City are black.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know, I don't know the history of of that in Canada specifically, like I'm also just more familiar with the US history on it where I guess um like you know, after the 1930s it had this kind of yeah, this kind of racial connotation as you said, like it was associated with, you know, Mexicans yeah, and things when, yeah, like exactly. that. Um and uh but I mean, I think the smart money would there would be on there being a very similar history here. And it's exactly I um, mean, it's exactly what you just said, like I, I mean one of the, perhaps one of the reasons why I'm so underwhelmed by the the quote unquote legalization regime that came into effect a couple of months ago is that, yeah, marijuana has already been legal in like all of my social circles. Like, for you smoke it in Toronto parks and stuff. It was it was de facto legal on my campus, uh, in my in my in my dorm, like in residence when I started university. Um, so, yeah, there's that exact same kind of like disproportionate enforcement regime, and it's probably going to continue. Uh, so,
2: re- returning from the in- enforcement regime, just back to what's happening in-, in Smith's Falls, I've actually gone on to the Canopy Growth website. And, right, like we say, well, oh, it's going to bring jobs back to the town. But, you know, this kind of reminds me of Amazon HQ. It's not bringing jobs to the people in Smith's Falls. The, one, the people in Smith's Falls might be getting the ancillary jobs, they might be serving, you know, they might be washing cars or waiting tables, but they're not seeing any of this money. So, for example, the Canopy Innovation Lab uh, is in Smiths Falls, which allows the company to push product development and R&D beyond the limits of access to cannabis for medical purposes regulations. As new product types join the legally permissible framework, it's always helpful to have a head start. Whether through in-house innovation or strategic partnerships, the Canopy Innovation Lab will play a pivotal role driving Canopy Growth's aggressive aggressive innovation agenda. Clearly, what they're doing is they're parroting in sort of like engineering graduate students from like Queens or the University of Toronto or whatever – and and just basically turning Smith's Falls from a town that like working class people could live in to a town that's just full of like, you know, yeah, they're creating like a thousand jobs, but they're just parachuting them in from elsewhere, driving up property prices. And like the people of Smith's Falls are still immiserated.
3: And I mean, I, yeah, it's like uh, it's like if uh, it's like if Downton Abbey were run by Hank Scorpio. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, I, I look at it, too, that I mean, in in Colorado, obviously, you appreciate the fact that They've raised a lot of money through the the taxes that the that legal cannabis provides. To specifically, they've earmarked it from the beginning for education in the state. But what that doesn't take into consideration is that because of the weed industry, because of the money that it's generated, because of the interest it's generated in people who want to either go to to Colorado as tourists or who want to work there, um, like it's extremely hard to get affordable housing in Denver now. And it didn't used to be that way. Denver used to be much cheaper than other Western cities even. And it's super expensive now. And, you know, yes, Denver has an unemployment rate of like 2%, but, it doesn't really do anybody any good if it's hard to get a job. If you're already in a marginalized position, it's hard to get a job in this new industry. And this new industry is, like you said, Riley, squeezing out working people. And I mean, whether that happens in Smith Smith's Falls, who knows? But I do think that until you attack the model that basically says whatever, whatever happens, it doesn't matter as long as we can attract capital to our to our town. Mm. It's going to keep fucking people over like this. So Ladies, I think if I, you live in Denver, you might have found it's much harder to get your man affordable housing. But you
0: know what? That's not what men want. If you're living in Denver, it's much easier to get your man a tremors and
4: paraphernalia i must say this though i must say this though there were people that would share screen grabs from denver craigslist and literally there were people who were asking for odd jobs and services around their home and they're just like we'll just pay you in dabs like <laughs> like well, can you wash our dishes for us we'll pay you in dabs or shatter which i guess is extremely strong weed i was I'm, not... imagining a guy just dabbing no <laughs> just pay, no it's like it's yeah. like it's like it's like a weed concentrate it's like weed brandy mm. or, or weed crack God, i don't damn. know no, that's super strong. Like if you can't fucking if, if you could smoke a whole joint of like good weed from California and not get really high for that tolerant at this point, then like dab and chatter is what you're into. No, it, weed Whereas like if I take one puff of weed like that, I'll be high for six hours and it'll be miserable. I'll yeah. be in brain prison.
3: Something something that comes to mind uh, to me in all this is uh, an example um, from Washington State where uh, it was legalized, I guess, in 2012, something like that. Um, and the, the coalition of people organizing for uh, the legalization included both libertarians and socialists. And I guess what, what we're describing with Smith's Falls is, uh, is kind of like the libertarian vision at work. And in, in Washington, when they legalized it, um, you know, there was this case of a guy who, uh, who he became like the first person to, uh, he, he walked into something called the Spokane Greenleaf Dispensary and he yelled, go Washington, and he purchased four grams of a strain called Sour Kush. And because the media filmed that, <laughs>
0: when Jared gets um, upset,
3: the, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the media, the media filmed it, and um, you know, it turned out that he he worked for a company on and off for twelve years that had previously made him sign a a document saying that he wouldn't have any THC in his system. So he was subsequently fired. And the thing is, the libertarian position on this ends up being that like. Uh, well, he's free to go and purchase uh, as you know an autonomous, you know, rational economic agent. He's free to go and purchase this whenever he wants. Um, but it's also the freedom of his employer to fire him for it because, uh, you know, uh, corporations are people too. Mm. Um, the real truth. and so like this is this really cuts to I think the the core of. Uh, by the way, I'm taking this all from a this is a Cory Robin uh, article called "The Limits of Libertarianism" from a few years ago. You know, like either either. Um, you know, like either you have actual legalization, actual freedom where this is a thing that you can do regardless of, you know, uh, where you are within the social caste system, um, you know, regardless of your income or the color of your skin, you can just do it and you're not going to be uh, persecuted or, you know, uh, subject to, you know, the, the crushing hand of the state's not going to come down on you. Either it's that. Uh, or it's just a it's just a privilege extended to a small group of people uh, who are never going to face consequences, even when like the mass of people do for doing something that's technically legal. Like that's what's at stake here.
2: No, I actually think really I, I, I want to be fired by someone called Bertram Gunch from his company that like <laughs> makes um, makes car makes a uh, car um, uh, deodorizers that get you fucked up. I want to, do, to be fired by him because I once like like got looked at smoking weed in high school on CCTV.
0: New on Fox this winter. Rational Agents with Ben Shapiro.
4: <laughs> I, will, I will say it was a huge trip because I actually was in Tacoma, Washington when um, they opened their first weed store, legal weed store in Tacoma. They had them open in Seattle for a while, but not in, in, in Tacoma, which is a little bit to the south of the city. And um, it was really weird to be there because, I mean, there was a line stretching all around the door to the store. And by the time that I was able to get in, like they were only letting people in, they had like a bouncer and they were letting people in like five at a time. By the time I got in, there were like very few strains of weed left. But it was a weird cross section because you had people literally looking like business professionals, like, like, like success leaders. And you had people that obviously were like working class people, and, and you had college students, you had old people. And it was one of those things where, like, this is a cross section of society that smokes weed. Like, I'm, I can't imagine all these people have been sober on weed their entire life. Like, I'm waiting until they open the store and then I'll smoke weed for the very first time. Like, these people have smoked weed before, but some of these people would face like co- the weed smoking equivalent of saving it for Jesus. <laughs> yes. But they'll <but, laughs> only smoke it the day it's legalized. <laughs> I've been wearing my promise ring.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> uh, they, they, uh, but some of those people who work in, even in places like fucking fast food style arrangements, if, if the companies are insane, could be piss tested on the spot, and their job is contingent. Whereas other people who like work in finance, they'll never get drug tested. And and that to me is, I think that is, is it like what you just said is that it basically, so there are there are segments of society who don't see anything wrong with that.
2: Mm. Well, it, it's ultimately like a socialist vision of marijuana legalization would basically like would would would, would a vacate all the con- previous convictions. B mm. yes. it would it would make sure that the the companies that were actually engaging in doing this were like at least state, at least probably state run, but it would make sure that like, they, and it would also, in, it, but it would have to go beyond like weed legalization. Cause a lot of the problems are with stuff like at will employment. It's nothing to do with, or, or with the fact that like there are, there are towns that are dependent on a single industry that have, and the fact that people have like lost jobs, so they've been driven to drugs, right? Like, if you look at socialist weed legalization the actual weed legalization that you have to do is very minimal you know make sure that the businesses are publicly owned and make sure that you know the convictions are 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 vacated what you actually have to do is you have to attack private ownership
4: yeah and also understand i mean for me at least i would much rather complications and frustrations with state ownership the way it's being done aside i'd much rather have that than like fucking jeff bezos jeff bezos's former hedge fund buddy opens a weed company and now all weed is like a subsidiary of amazon like, yeah. because that, that's the thing is that who has, think about a business as risky as this. Think about a business a business as spottily legalized. In the United States, obviously in Canada, it's very different because it's been nationally legalized. Who's going to have access to that kind of capital and willing to take the kind of risk involved when like literally in the US, banks can shut you out of your accounts because they think you're dealing with drugs, like dealing with weed. Like only insanely rich people. And that's going to breed, yeah. The National know. Association of Lawn Gardeners.
2: All right, Uh, I think we have now 420 blazed it for
4: quite long enough. We've cashed this bowl. We've smoked it all the way down to the goddamn roach holder. We've
2: we've scraped the resin and I think- Smoked that shit too. It kind of got us (laughs) high. All right, Uh, so thank you very much to Luke Savage for joining us.
3: Thanks, lads. It was fun.
2: Oh, yeah. Um, So remind everyone where they can find you.
3: Find me on Twitter at Luke W. Savage or listen to my podcast and contribute uh, to an important cause by giving to our Patreon. Uh, That's uh, at Michael and us.
2: Awesome. And of course, as with us forever... Uh, you can commodify your descent with a T-shirt from Lil Comrade. Maybe you can get Edie to print the weed smoking noise somehow. I'm sure she'll figure out how to screen cap that. Screen cap, uh, Silk screen. Get it? Get a T-shirt with Roger Rogers printed on it. <laughs> yeah, think think of your best weed company CEO name. Get that printed on a T-shirt. Um,
0: Chuck Shitbone or whatever, <laughs> whatever that guy
2: was called. Come on. <laughs> Uh, also, if you're feeling hungry in the Broadway market area and you want some high quality Japanese, head to Ako. I've, I've already cashed in one of my free meals and, I w- and I'm damn sure going to do it again. Um, and then finally, we have a Patreon. You can subscribe to it. Uh, it is also five dollars a month. Uh, we actually invented doing that. We were the first socialist podcast to do that. And nobody has done it before. No one now. has ever done it before. My- <laughs> Luke copied us. Um, where we have a second bonus episode every week. Um, and, uh, of course, as ever, our theme song is Here We Go. You can find it on Spotify. It's by Sang. It's very good. I strongly recommend listening to it. Uh, if that's all done, it's all that's left for me to say is thank you for listening, and thank you to the
4: lads. Come find us down at our local weed store, Blazing Squad. Yeah. Come find us at the Guy household. Come find us in the country that will legalize weed last, the United oh, Kingdom. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.